Well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Psalm 38. Psalm 38 is where we're heading today as we continue our way through the Psalms during the summer. Uh, And just like last week, I encourage you uh, to grab a Bible near you if you don't have one so you can read and follow along as we read. Um, As you're turning there, Psalm 38, I'm sure that many of you have heard the joke before. A patient walks into a doctor's office and says, Doctor, it hurts when I do this. And the doctor responds, Ah, I see. Well, then don't do that, right? It hurts when I do this. Stop doing that. Uh, Simple joke, really. Straightforward response, of course, and then there's the bill. Um, But if you stop and think about it, this joke actually brings up a lot of questions that go to the core of human experience. Is pain something that happens to us? Or is it something that happens because of us? Uh, Similarly, is treatment merely a means of self-management? Do this or don't do that. Or is treatment a, a deeper kind of healing from pain actually available? See, here's the truth. Every single one of us has something that makes us say, it hurts when I do this. Every single one of us has something that would make us say it hurts when I do this. For some, there are literal aches and pains, sharp sensations in the body. For some, there's heartache, there's bitterness, there's betrayal that lives inside of you. For others, there may be just a sense of exhaustion, hopelessness, despair. When we encounter these pains, sometimes we blame God, sometimes we blame others, sometimes we blame the world, and sometimes we blame ourselves. Every one of us has something that makes us say, it hurts when I do this. And we desperately need a doctor's help. Psalm 38 is a prayer from someone in pain. It is a prayer in the midst of pain. It is a search for help and for healing. And it explores all the same questions that that joke brings up. Is pain something that happens to us or because of us? Is healing just a matter of my own action, or is there something beyond me that can bring deeper healing? How do we pray in the midst of pain? Well, let's listen to Psalm 38. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Your arrows have pierced me, and your hand has come down on me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. There's no soundness in my bones because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me. 
like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There's no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds, my strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far from me. Those who want to kill me set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they scheme and lie. I am like the deaf who cannot hear, like the mute who cannot speak. I have become like one who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. Lord, I wait for you. You will answer, Lord, my God. For I said, do not let them gloat or exalt themselves over me when my feet slip. For I am about to fall, and my pain is ever with me. I confess my iniquity. I'm troubled by my sin. Many have become my enemies without cause. Those who hate me without reason are numerous. Those who repay my good with evil lodge accusations against me, though I seek only to do what is good. Lord, do not forsake me. Do not be far from me, my God. Come quickly to help me, my Lord and my Savior. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let us pray. O oh Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. And we thank you that you are a God to whom we can come in the midst of our pain. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture together this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, as we begin reflecting on this psalm, I want to ask you a question and, and invite your responses, all right? Uh, so take a moment to look back through the psalm, Psalm 38, and I want you to pay attention. What are some of the different kinds of pain that you hear expressed throughout this psalm? What kinds of pain do you, do you see throughout this psalm? When you see something just Shout it out from where you are. I'd love to hear from a few of you. Aching bones. Mm -hmm. His soul is in pain. Mm. Festering wounds. My heart is throbbing. What else? Did I hear someone else? Guilt. Mm -hmm. Friends disappearing. Yeah. 
And it means appearing. Yeah. Any other kinds of... What was that? Gossip. Mm-hmm. Lying and scheming. Loneliness because of wounds. Unable to speak. Hate. Yeah. Anything else stand out? Different kinds of pain. Anguish of heart. See, there's a there's a there's a breadth, a, a, a lot of a whole spectrum of pain that the psalmist expresses. So I, I want to get inside the mind and the, the philosophy of the psalm, because the psalmist is working with a particular understanding of what a human being is, of how a human being is is made. We see this depicted in the early pages of Genesis, the creation story. Uh, when God creates humanity, in Genesis chapter 2, it says, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So look at the ingredients that we have here. There's the dust of the ground and the breath of life, right? There's the dust of the ground, the stuff, the physical stuff of earth and the breath of life, the, the spiritual stuff of heaven. The, the, the language of breath throughout Scripture is, is often used to describe the spirit as well. And so the breath of life is this spiritual stuff of heaven. And it's both of these together, physical and spiritual, that makes a person into a living being, right? And so that's the initial story that we get of what humanity is. But God is not finished yet, right? Just a few verses later, God says, it is not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for the man to be alone. You may remember in Genesis 1, every time that God creates, it is concluded by saying, and God saw that it was good. Right? He creates and it's good. He creates, and it's good. But right here in Genesis 2 is the very first time we hear the phrase, not good. It's not good for the man to be alone. So God creates a helper suitable for him. God creates woman, and in so doing, creates community. God creates relationship. God creates a little microcosm of society, right? And this is another vital component of humanity. We are not only physical and spiritual, we are also relational as well. We have bodies and spirits, but we also have relationships in community. 
This is how humans were meant to be. Connected with God, with the earth around us, and with one another. Bodies, spirits, relationships. This is the working philosophy and understanding of humankind, a biblical anthropology, so to speak, right? To use all of that kind of language. And this is all depicted for us in Genesis 2. And then things begin to change in the next chapter. In Genesis 3, sin enters the picture and disrupts every one of these components, right? Pain is experienced in every one of these areas. Initially, humans were created with the breath of life, right? Spiritual connection to God, who is the source of life. But after sin, we see this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So that spiritual connection, the breath of life, is beginning to fray as they hide from God instead of live with him. Instead of feeling connected to God, they hid from him. And yet, God continues pursuing them, calling out, where are you? Not because he doesn't know, because he wants them to respond And so he calls to them, he asks them what has happened, and the man responds, well, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. So again, initially, humanity was created to be in harmonious, helping relationship with one another. But after sin, we see that this relationship begins to fray begins to break down as the man points his finger toward the woman. And then as things continue to unfold, God begins to describe to them the consequences of what has happened. Childbearing and garden working will become painful. Though they were made from the dust of the earth for life, they will return to the dust of the earth in death. So physical pain and death enters as well. And so after this portrait of humanity in Genesis chapter 2, what we see in Genesis 3 is a complete breakdown of humanity as it was meant to be. The undoing of creation. The humanity was made for physical and spiritual life in relationship They now experience pain on every one of these levels. Spiritual shame, relational blame, and physical pain. Everything is falling apart. Now the last thing that I want to highlight from this story is this question that we considered a moment ago. Does all of this happen to them or does it happen because of them? The answer is yes, right? Right? It's not either or. Pain is a complex thing. Pain is something that happens to us. 
We feel it. We know it. And it really does hurt. And yet, so often our own actions have been the cause of the pain we experience. So often we bring it upon ourselves. So this is the understanding, the the big picture into which this psalm speaks. This is what the, the psalmist is working from. And we see this as he describes his experiences of pain. So the psalm opens with a sense of spiritual pain in verse 1. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Like Adam and Eve hiding in the garden, the psalmist braces himself for the, the wrath of God. And then the psalmist goes on, begins expressing various kinds of physical pain. Verse 3, there's no health in my body. There's no soundness in my bones. Verse 5, my wounds fester and are loathsome. Verse 7, my back is filled with searing pain. There's no health in my body. Verse 10, my strength fails me. Even the light is gone from my eyes. And then finally, we begin to see relational pain as well. Verse 11, my friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away. After expressing all of these different kinds of pain, verse 17 says, my pain is ever with me. And why? Why has all of this happened? Well, it's been there all along. Back in verse 3, he says, there's no soundness in my bones because of my sin. Verse 5 again, my wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly, foolishness. And verse 18, I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. So the psalmist is in the middle of a Genesis 3 experience, the aftermath of sin. There's breakdown of spirit, body, and community. The psalmist is ashamed, isolated, and in pain. He is afraid of God, ashamed of himself, and estranged from others. As I was reflecting on this psalm, I began imagining a picture of a child who's been told not to eat too much candy, but ended up eating the whole jar. So now the child is sick to her stomach, shunned by other children because there's no candy left, right? And afraid of getting in trouble with the parent who told them not to do it. It's a simple little image, but that's kind of what we see here. There's physical pain. There's guilt and shame. There's being separated from other people. And there's a desperate need for that child to be comforted, maybe given something that will help ease the pain. 
But will that child go to the parent who has the medicine or not? That's the question. One of the commentaries that I read this week offered a, a, another example uh, of, of something that, that this psalm might speak to, offering the example of, of an alcoholic seeking help, someone wrestling with addiction, right? People who attend AA meetings go both as someone who in many ways is responsible for the trouble that they're in, but also there because they desperately need help getting out of it. We live in a world where we tend to separate people into either guilty offenders or innocent victims, right? Which is kind of black and white. Either you're, you're a guilty offender or you're an innocent victim. But this psalm acknowledges that life is far more complex than that. Because sometimes people are both guilty and a victim. The problem is, is that when people are guilty, they tend to feel shame. When we feel shame, we tend to hide. And hiding never leads to healing. Hiding never leads to healing. In order to be healed, we have to be held. Like that sweet, sick child with a stomach ache. We're often afraid to go to our parent because we know we've done something wrong. But God, our heavenly parent, is the only one who can heal our sickness. So we must go to God and say, it hurts when I do this. And I promise you, God's response is far better than simply telling you, well, don't do that. He is the one who holds us and heals us. And this is the journey that the psalmist makes throughout the psalm. From hiding to healing. Throughout the psalm's description of pain, which we read all throughout, there are also four verses that directly address God. And these four verses show us the psalmist's journey through pain from hiding to healing. And so, let's look at them. The first of these is verse 1. Verse 1, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Or discipline me in your wrath. Right? This begins the psalm flooded with fear. Afraid of God's wrath. Afraid of what God is doing or might do to them. And many of us who've grown up in religious circles have learned to respond to God the very same way. Cowering in fear. And that response isn't all wrong. After all, a couple psalms ago, the wicked were described, Psalm 36, as those with no fear of God before their eyes, right? To sin without any sense of guilt or, or, or response at all is a mark of self-obsessed pride. 
It's what the Psalms describe as a wicked person. It is right for us to respond to sin. It's right for us to feel some measure of guilt. But too often, we've responded with paralyzing shame instead. So, fear is only the beginning of this journey. It should not lead us to hiding away from God, but rather drawing us to move toward God. And that's what we see as the psalm continues. That's where the psalmist goes. The next verse that directly addresses God is verse 9. All my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. And so, Instead of hiding from God, the psalmist begins to humbly approach God and open up. Because God sees our hearts. God sees our longings. God knows all the ways that we have caused harm in the world. He knows all the ways that we have been harmed in the world. But rather than remaining stuck in sin and in pain, the psalmist begins to open up to God and express, God, it hurts when I do this. I know I shouldn't have eaten all that candy, but I'm so sick to my stomach. The psalmist moves from hiding from God and begins preparing himself to be held by the God who sees him. The next verse that directly addresses God is verse 15. The psalmist says, Lord, I wait for you. I wait for you, and you will answer. I wait for you. This is so counter to our culture of instant fixes, of solutions, right? We want something to make us better and to make us better now. We want to get out of our pain as soon as possible. We'd rather be numb to it than healed from it. This is one of the primary sicknesses of our culture. That's why we're so distracted all the time. But healing from pain does not come quickly. Transformation does not come all at once. I wait for you, Lord. And it says, you will answer me. Right? God will heal our sin. God will transform our hearts. But it's a process. It takes time. It's a journey we have to go on with God. It does not come all at once. This prayer, I wait for you, you will answer me, comes just after a couple verses where there's been this image of of the psalmist who, who says he's like being deaf and mute 
like someone who doesn't hear and, and cannot speak, can't offer a reply. And these images feel like they kind of come out of nowhere in the middle of the psalm, but they offer, I think, a couple of pictures, a really unique dual picture, because on the one hand, they illustrate how the psalmist feels cut off from others, right? I can't see them, I can't hear them because no one's here. I'm all alone. But also, it offers and shows us that the psalmist has shifted from, from a state of frenzy and noise to a state of stillness and quiet. I'm not looking around at everything. There isn't a bunch of noise. There is stillness and there is silence. And it's from that place of being still that the psalmist then says, Lord, I wait for you. You will answer, Lord, my God. And then the fourth and the final direct address to God comes in the last two verses of the psalm, verses 21 and 22, where he prays, Lord, do not forsake me. Do not be far from me, my God. Come quickly to help me, my Lord and my Savior. Can you see the dramatic shift from verse 1 to verse 22? Right? As it opened, the psalmist was basically saying, God, don't come anywhere near me. Get away. But now he says exactly the opposite. Don't be far from me. Come close. The psalmist has shifted from seeing God as a punisher to seeing God as a savior. Because God has not come to punish. He has come to save. That's who God is. And when we see him the other way, we hide. But when we see him as a savior, we run to him. Because he wants to make us well. It changes everything. Instead of hiding from God, the psalmist moves to be held by God so he can be healed by God. So where are you in the midst of all of this? What is the pain that you have experienced? What is the pain that you are experiencing? What is the guilt or the shame that causes you to hide from God, from others? And remember that hiding is, is often not something that we're even aware of. It might be something that we just passively avoid through distraction. Some of us are hiding and don't even know it. What are the things that cause you to hide from God? Hide from others? 
What is the invitation for you this morning? Perhaps there are ways that you feel guilty or feel stuck. Guilty because of something that you've done. Stuck that you can't get out. It reminds me of of what Paul wrote in Romans 7, the sort of famous tongue twister of a verse. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, and what I hate I do. Anyone relate to that sometimes? I'm not doing the things I want. I'm actually doing the things I hate, right? I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God, God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. If we find ourselves there, it can be easy to hide. But the very next verse, Paul writes, Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hiding will never lead to healing. Only Jesus can rescue us. And so how does Jesus respond to someone in pain? Because of their sin. When I think of this, I remember Jesus on the cross between two criminals. The Gospel of Luke says one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus, saying, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him and said, don't you fear God? Since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Right? We're suffering because of our sin. We're guilty and we're stuck. But then he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And how does Jesus respond to the people who are guilty and stuck? He says, truly I tell you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus has not come to punish, but to save. And so when we come to Jesus, we can come just like the psalmist and say, Lord, do not forsake me. Do not be far from me, my God. Come quickly to help me, my Lord and my Savior. Thanks be to God. Amen.